Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Right, so maturity. You know what? It's been a long journey, but over the last couple of months, it's been a, it's been a journey. It's, it's, it's been good. Um, a few people came to me after the last time I said everybody was complaining because it carried on so long. And they said, no, it was good. And I think for me, it was also good. Um, it's been interesting to see what God has unearthed in our hearts in this, this journey of going off to maturity in Christ. I thought this morning I would kick off by telling you that there's a process to maturity. Simple, at a macro level, at a high level, there's a, a silly little process. Um, the one starts with realizing and recognizing that there's a level of immaturity. Any of you have that during the series in any one of the topics? Realize that I'm not as mature as I thought I was in certain things. Simple point number two then. You have to understand what maturity in certain area looks like. Anybody get that? A couple of things. Maturing and how we read the word. Oh, so I should actually read it daily or as often as I can in as big quantities as I can take in. We realize what maturity is about. Now, if the first one that you realize that you are not mature would be your true state. Then the second one where you, where you realize what maturity looks like will be your desired state. I hope that's what we created in you, a desire to go from the point of slight deficiency in an area or underdevelopment in an area to being developed and meeting them up. So your true state is you fall short. The, the desired state is I am mature in the area. And then the third one is take the steps to address the deficit, the, the, the gap. And if the one was the true state and the other one was the desi desired state, I want to say that the third point is a perpetual state. <laughs> because none of us are ever going to be 100% mature in all things. <clears throat> It's very difficult sometimes for us cholerics to accept that. We want to know that we have reached and attained a level of perfection. But it's not true. We will always be working at something. And then there are those among us that feel like, I, I can't even put the effort in to do it. I want to say you're in good company. Let's take your hand. Let's journey together on this thing of maturity in Christ. I'm hammering this thing because I'm nervous that as we end this series, all of us think, oh, now we as a church have matured. And we stop pursuing our maker and his presence and what he says about things because, hey, we have reached the level of maturity. I think during our messages, you would have heard that in this perpetual state of maturing, 
Sometimes there are examples for us to follow. Follow me as I follow Christ. Sometimes we need to put our hands up and say, God, we need help. Go to somebody and say, I need help. Can you help me? I see that you've got a degree of mastery in this area. Please help me. Help me. How do you do your quiet times? How do you worship? How do you plan? How do you prep? How do you... The difficult part is sometimes we have to let go of behaviors. Sometimes we have to build new disciplines and behaviors. How long does it take to build a habit? 21 days, they say. Aish, I've slogged at some things at 40 days. <laughs> Maybe it's 21 times 21. But you have to let go of certain behavior. The snooze button for some of us. Have to let go of that behavior. You have to be intentional about saying, this is what I want to achieve. This is what I'm going to do. What does the Bible say? Write down the vision. The people go and they perish because of a lack of vision. And then the last one I put under this perpetual state of what we have to do is, it takes hard work and effort. Everything in life takes effort. Uh, I'm sure it's written somewhere in Proverbs, but I'm just telling you, uh, that's what I've experienced in 40 years. Everything I've wanted to achieve has taken hard work and effort. But the wonder of us being in Christ is He comes and He says, I will give you strength. <clears throat> and as you wait upon me, you will rise up. I hope that you, you have seen that we have tried as preachers to to give you handles some days. What should I do? Well, stop doing that and start doing this. Maybe think about something like this and not like that. And sometimes we just created awareness in you in this maturing. We just wanted you to realize, hang, I don't have it all together in this area. Possibly I should go and research or investigate or ask or observe. Because I'm falling. We, that was the aim of our messages. That is the aim of our messages, to create some sort of awareness. Sometimes we've given handles. Sometimes we've given awareness. But I hope most of the times we gave you hope in presenting Jesus Christ as the answer. Because um, at the end of the day, it is just Him that makes a difference. I see some of the sugars kicking in. It's going to be a glorious day. But this morning I want to talk to us about John 15, 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. LRC stands for? What is our mandate? His love reaching our communities. Every day, in every way. I'm getting better and better. Jesus says in, in John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Point number one, I've simply classified as by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Anybody for a treat 
want to tell me where that is in the Bible? Parents, this is your turn. These candy canes are like raspberry. It's amazing. And then they get stuck in your teeth and you've got something for later. Come on. Who's got adventure? Somebody's quickly checking on their phone. What is that scripture? Come on. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That love is simply put agape. I thought today I'll remind us a little bit about the loves that you get in the Bible. First one, agape. It's when God speaks it. He says it's this unconditional thing, undeserved. You did not deserve to be loved, but yet I've loved you. That love that is born in the heart of God, that is the very nature of who He is, that He will sacrifice Himself because He loved you so much. Agape, unconditional love. Second love that they speak of in the Bible is? We're getting there, Dan. Philadelphia. Philio. The love between brothers. Affection. I can honestly say I have a love for all of you. It's the second one. Brotherly love. Camaraderie. Standing together. Affection for you. I know you. I will stop and help you change the tire. Or I will just stand with you and encourage you. I don't like it when the dirt goes under my nails. The next two is eros, erotic love or love between husband and wife. And storga, love between a parent and a child. I've classified them together because that's how their family loves. The relational family loves. That come together. The one is from God. The one is among us as friends. And the other one is which gives substance to family. In the right context. In the core and the nucleus of how God designed it. We understand Eros love because it's all that is thrown at us on every series that you watch. There is this falling in love and this pursuit of, of somebody in a sexual way. It is... It is unbelievably prevalent, and it is just thrust in our faces day after day. And we get that. We understand that. I spoke to some young people, and they say, but this is the only way I can express my love for another, is if I give myself physically to a person. It's what society is giving at us. It's love. That's love. And we can understand the, the brotherly love, the affection, because it is the theme of every Christian movie. Every small budget movie has got this at the core. Break up in a relationship in a family, finding each other, live happily ever after as brother and f or, or son and, 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 and dad or, or mother or, or something. Thank you. We've got some advisors and uh, assistants here today. And we get that too. But we don't get this unconditional love. Because in reality, we do not deserve it. That love that is thrust upon us, that meets us like an avalanche, when we are down on our knees in a broken state, and he says, I love you, I put you together, you are mine, I've called you by name. By this will all men know that you are my people, my disciples, with your love for one another. 
I've shared this once before. I don't know who of you remember. When did it come out? Rise of the Guardians. That movie about Santa Claus and the, the Easter Bunny and the Sandman. 11. I think 2011. And Santa Claus speaks to Jack Frost, who is now, I don't know who Jack Frost is. Do we have Jack Frost in South Africa? Hey? I don't, I don't think so. But he speaks to him and he says, who are you? What is at your core, Jack? And he says, I don't know. And then Santa Claus takes these Russian nesting dogs, uh, dolls off and, and one after the other, after the other. When he's left with this tiny little thing and he says, it's this tiny little doll with his big eyes. And he says to Jack Frost, at my core, I am wonder. Who are you, Jack Frost? And previously when I preached on love, I I said that that's what God is at his core. He is love. And that is what he is to us. That is what he is in us and through us. At the core is agape love. Have you experienced it? I will tell you how you know that you've experienced it because you will not be the same after you've experienced it. All of a sudden, bitterness and, and uh, resentment falls away. All of a sudden, you don't feel like you're not worthy because His love is on you and you, are, you have been declared worthy. And all of a sudden, you don't let people speak to you the same way and just stand there. You just say, I have value because He paid a price for me. All of a sudden, you understand that who you are matters to the one who is the greatest of all. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that point where you realize, I have destiny, I have purpose, there's a reason to my life? Because in that moment when he comes and he says, you are loved, he imparts all of that in a moment. Oh, my point number two, I said, greater love has no one. Shall I try again, guys? Where is the scripture in the Bible for two candy canes this time? Mervyn, stop doing it on your phone. You're cheating, bro. <laughs> John, 15 verse. 13. Who said that? Did you look it up or did you know it? Mervyn, is that what you said? Oh, come get your candy canes. There we go. What a champion. Come, Sons, you can also get, well, Mervyn gets to you get one because you cheated. But in recognition of knowing how to work your online Bible, we appreciate that. And a greater love has no one. I want to say Jesus comes in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, and he says to them, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and the first commandment. And it's another thing that the world comes and robs us of. Because it makes us think that we love the Lord your God with our spirit. 
And we love each other with our minds. And we love our spouses with our bodies. But Jesus is quite clear. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all three before you even consider loving anybody else. He's saying you shall be a sacrifice unto God your whole being. He wants your mind, even if it's warped and broken, even if it isn't. He wants it. He wants your body, whether you are in shape or out of shape. He wants to renew your spirit and restore it to him in union and communion like it was in the Garden of Eden. Before you can even endeavor to give yourself to another. Love the Lord your God with all of you. Every inch of you, every, every thought, every moment. And it is so overwhelming because if we have to do a test against how well we do that, we will fall short forever. This side of eternity, we can never do that. But he says, do it, try it. If I want to give you a handle today, consider God before anybody else when you utter the words love. I will give you another handle and say, don't feel sorry when you haven't loved him with everything in you. Start again immediately. Don't go and sulk. Just start again and say, God, I love you. You know how liberating it is when you have stuffed up and you know that you can just go to him and say, God, I love you no matter what I've done again. And he comes and he says, enter my peace, enter my rest, because my agape love has never ended towards you. Agape, the source of it starts with God. And then that scripture continues and it says, and second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For us to be true to our mandate of love reaching communities, it's got to be rooted for all of us in that source of agape. I think the actual word that is spoken of here is agapaos. It's clarified. Let's drop a few vowels. We say agapos. Okay? Between friends. The second thing that happens, and the greater, no, greater love has no one. He instructs us to love him, which is the source of everything. And then he says, the application of that love, by this will all men know that you are my disciples in your love for one another. How many of us here has done something to the person sitting next to you in the past 12 months? Something kind. I have given out candy canes on you. No greater love starts with us showing the world what it looks like to love one another. Before we even get to the point of loving the people that hate us, we are called by Jesus and instructed by him to love one another. Last week somebody came to me and said, if there's somebody that needs a place to go for Christmas Day, our house is open. Well done, you guys. It's wonderful if you can do that. Some of us can go and buy somebody a plaster or a panado or a chappy, if you still get chappies. That is how people will know that we are His examples, His disciples. 
I love for one another. I wish I could tell you that when we love one another, we're never going to get irritated with one another. But it's not true. Not just some idiosyncrasies in us and, and, and uniqueness in us that will always rub the other person out the wrong way. But that's not the expression of love. Tolerance is not the expression of love. It is just avoiding certain death. You know those people that come to you and everything in you, even your friends have to hold you back because that person's going to lose his life if he keeps on talking to you that way. But all these things will, will all know that you are his disciples, your love for one another. How are you going to make your love for one another visible? It's easy to do at Christmas time, people, because we all feel it. There are Christmas lights and Christmas cheer and candy canes. <sighs> what about January? February? March? <laughs> Can we as people start to make our love visible for one another? Next thing that Jesus comes, he instructs us, no greater love. The next thing he gives us the example, simple. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so am I. And if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you the example that you also should do just as I've done to you. That word example, when Jesus says about himself, I am your example, is an exhibit for imitation. He says there, I will become the thing shown as the paragon, the perfect example of how to love another. He doesn't just instruct us like a good teacher. He actually comes down from his high horse and his soapbox and he says, I will show you what it looks like to love one another. And then we know what scripture follows. No greater love has one for another than to lay down his life for a friend. And we sit and we moan because it is half past 11 at night and somebody needs a lift from somewhere or there is a fight that broke out in a house or there is somebody who needs something desperate and we fight and we moan because this is inconvenient. No greater love has one for another than to lay down his life. And he doesn't just stop at waking up late at night and going to feed somebody else's sheep. <laughs> he doesn't just come and say, let me help you change. Did they have wooden wheels back then? Let me quickly help you carve a new wheel. I'm a carpenter's son. I'll do that even though it's full of splinters. He doesn't just stop at the mundane and the ordinary expected things that families do for one another. No, he goes and he says, I will pay the ultimate price. Here, have my life. Have it all. Yo. 
the center of it all. He is love. I will lay down my life for you and 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 you. And And he goes down today. He stands in front of you and he says, I lay down my life for you. I didn't just stop with giving you bread when you were hungry. I gave myself for you to be restored. The paragon. The perfect example. And he's asking us to follow suit. And then some of us says, I can't sacrifice that time. It's just too precious to me. I can't do that for you. Who are you? You're human just like, we both have human rights. Yes, we do. But we have one that surpasses and is greater than the human rights of South Africa. That informs what our lives should be shaped like. And you know, The third thing is he instructs us and he's the example for us. But the glory of this king that we serve is that he doesn't leave us up to ourselves. He comes in Colossians and he says, Colossians 1.27 to the end, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You don't have to do it on your own because I know you can't do it by yourself. I will be in you and through you. Christ in you, your hope of living up to the glory of the paragon of Jesus Christ. There's hope. There's hope when you are tired. There's hope when you have nothing and people need. You can give. Because he is Christ in you. Do you have Christ in you? Mm, One. That's glorious. Fantastic. We have one person with Christ in him. The hope of glory. If anybody needs anything, go to Lissedi. He instructs us. He shows us. He lives in us. It's not Mufasa living in Simba. It is Jesus living in us. That is what changes the pride lands. That is what brings change and that is what defeats Scar. Not Mufasa and Rafiki in Simba. He is our hope of glory. Quick slight practical thing in conclusion. Of maturing in our love. He's our hope of glory. And the third one I've simply called Christ Jesus, our hope. And you know what happens if if we do not have this hope of Jesus? We get tired and deflated, demotivated, despondent, exhausted. We get to the end of a year and we don't want to do what we have done anymore. But he is our hope. Christ Jesus. First one is he's our hope for evangelism. If he is not the center of our lives, people are going to see through us. But Jesus comes and he says, go and make 
disciples, just checking who's awake, and it looks like two-thirds of you are, I'll work with that. Go and make disciples of all people. Come on, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's what he says collectively. Evangelism. He's our hope in evangelism. And I hope that hope is still alive in you, that you want to bring other people into this, into what Jesus did for you. Because if you've lost that splendor about what he did for you, you're not going to bother with other people. His love is not going to be alive in you. This is my challenge for the next, let's do 18 months forecast. You know, in business world, it's never good just to go 12 months. You have to go a little bit further because plans for the future or something like that. I actually do know, guys, I was in business for long enough. I'm just playing dumb. <clears throat> but you plan for 18 months. This is my, my, my thing I want to challenge you in. One person, one invite. Work on one person and give them invite after invite after invite after invite. He's our hope for evangelism. Can you take up that challenge? I'm going to challenge you. Write down the name quickly. Think about a person you're going to invite to church. Write it down now, either on your phone, on a piece of paper, or come and get a pen and write it on your hand. Write it down. Think about it. This is me written it down. Committed to memory. Unfortunately, my memory doesn't last. It's so unique. It's only me that that happens to. Hey, write down a name. Who do you have faith for in God? I want to challenge you. Don't pick those people that are, are just on the fringe. Pick that person that makes your life hell. Because if you get them into church, they will be converted by, by Jesus and, and changed by his love. And all of a sudden, your life will be easy. How's that for self-serving? One person, one invite. Evangelism. Come on. I don't care. The elders don't care. We'll buy extra seats. One person, one invite. Second one is apologetics. He is our hope in apologetics. I sit and I listen to apologetics, and, and these guys are so clever. And in their arguments, I feel like sometimes they miss Jesus. They are so, so eager at debating and disproving the other person's argument that they forget who it's about. Jesus. Why are you happy? Jesus. Why are you hopeful? Jesus. Why is there a country? Jesus. That is the answer. That is the center. That is who we serve. Now, you know apologetics, just quick little thing here, is not to apologize for being a Christian. Apologetics is from the Greek word, and Kostas, yeah, I cannot try to pronounce any Greek words. It is from the Greek word, which is defense of. So when he says, be ready in and out of season to give an answer for the hope that you have, he is not saying, go and apologize for it. Oh, sorry, I'm just a Christian. You are not just a Christian. You have the living Jesus Christ in you. You have Holy Spirit with you. You are in the Trinity. You are sorted and secured. You don't apologize for that. You defend it and you say, this is the reason why. We don't do apologetics and exposure here for the love of it. 
We do it for the purpose of you realizing, first of all, for yourself, why he is worth testifying, declaring, commenting, debating, talking about. I want to challenge you here. Do you have one truth about Jesus Christ that you can defend tooth and nail until it bleeds out your fingertips because you are so utterly convinced of it? Or do you just flow with the latest scripture that you've pulled out of? What were those things called? Little broodkorrels, korrels. What, what, what was that in English? Daily bread or something? Eh? Promise boxes. That's what I'm going to roll with. Ha, 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 ha. Here's the scripture. Like a little thing that you pull out and ah, today's blessing is. Or do you have a truth that you can say of all other things you can convince me otherwise? But this one thing I stand secure. Jesus Christ of Nazareth came. He died. He was resurrected, and He is ascended, seated in glory for all eternity. What is your one truth that nobody will, will ever change your mind on? You are a new creation. What is your one truth that nobody can sway you on? Not about the Bible. Not about the church. Not about LRC. Not about yourself, about Jesus Christ, your Savior. If you do nothing else for me, if I can ask you to do one thing, sit on Christmas Day and give him 15 minutes to say, God, speak to me on this day when I remember you coming as a baby. And let that inform the one truth that you can defend above all else. The third one, and I'm rushing, I'm so sorry. Galatians 5, 23. What's that about? Ah, oh, come on. Here's a chocolate just for you. <laughs> fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. His love gives rise to that in our lives. I would like us all to say we all of those things. Whew. Can I be honest and tell you what I'm working on? Patience. That's my fruit that I've picked. Which one are you picking? Which one are you working on at the moment? Because don't come and tell me I've got a handle on all of this. You're a liar. Absolute liar, Jacob. Pick a fruit and say, God, for the next few months, help me bear this well so others can enjoy it. I know I would love us all to give a fruit salad to people. But for now, can we maybe just start with a not overly ripe, not an underripe, just a perfectly ripe patience. On top of it, my friend asked me to drive his BMW back from Cape Town, a 320D. You, you want to talk about how patience tested when you've got all that power and you are stuck behind a truck on the free state part of the highway. 
perfectly ripe patience. What is your fruit? Write it down. Think about it. Can I read it again? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The last thing, Jesus Christ, our hope of glory. Matthew 11, verse 12, from the NLT. I thought I'll just give you guys a little bit of spritz with water with lemon in it. Not the normal water. Matthew 11, verse 12, NLT. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. I think we have brought our misunderstanding of the word apologetics into how we advance the kingdom of God. And we've become timid and shy and fatalistic. If it happens, it'll happen. My challenge to us as Limbronians is can we get a little bit of force back in us? said that with a bit of a British accent, didn't I? Can we get a little bit of force back in us? I'm not asking all of you to go and shout at people and throw Bibles at them randomly. I'm not asking you to tell people what sin they have and repent because the kingdom of God is near. I'm asking you to be forceful in your persistence, but wise in your approach. Because when you have the love of God at the center of it all, your love for that person, irrespective of what they believe, will will drive you to be creative in how you're going to pursue that person. Is that a deal? You see, we're okay with the forceful part when the evangelists go out and they are forceful. When Angus Buchan has mega, mega prayer meetings and when he speaks and prays in Parliament, we're okay with that being forceful. But when we are expected to be forceful, just apply it simply in how I said, be forceful in your persistence and wise in your approach. Then we all sit back and say, okay, no, sorry, I'm watching season 12 of House or, I don't know, Bones. Somebody else can be wise in their approach and forceful and persistent. But let me tell you, that one person with that one invite, the boundaries and the defenses and the excuses will only be broken down if you are forcefully persistent at it. In clever ways, inspired by the Holy Spirit. An invite. That's all it takes. For somebody to come and share the hope that you have because of the love of Christ. I hope that this morning I've created a picture of us falling short of the fullness of the expression of the love of Christ. We all do. I hope that I've shown you what perfect love looks like when Jesus came and gave himself for it. But I hope that I've left you with hope that you can live in the love of Christ And show that you are his disciple with your love for one another. First of all, your family. And then secondly, the people that do not know him. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.